welcome to the Taney Love Church Podcast. Our desire is to gather, train, and send those who are called to the kingdom. We hope this message inspires, uplifts, and equips you to fulfill the call that God has placed in your life. Thanks again. God bless. Okay, so um, I have it on my heart to uh, start, I don't know if it'll be a series or if it'll be just like one or two things, but um, I had a situation come up and someone challenged me a little bit about um, preaching uh, prosperity and stuff like that. And uh, I know why I believe what I believe, but the Lord said, know why you believe it and preach it. And so, um, if I say the word prosperity, and can we just be super honest this morning and transparent? If I say the word prosperity, has that ever had a negative context in your mind when it comes to ministry? Yeah, absolutely. Because we have had such bad examples of ministries manipulating people and taking advantage of the goodwill of um, people who love the Lord, and there have been people who have taken advantage of it. Have people ever taken advantage of anything that Jesus has done other than money? All of the time. All the time. Literally all the time. We saw it in the Bible. We saw people try to use the name of Jesus who didn't even know him. They were trying to operate in this power. We saw the, 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 the crazy witch doctor lady who was falling on the apostles and said, give me the power that you have. You know what I'm saying? Like there was people who were trying to harness who Jesus was without being in relationship with him. So people have been perverting the word since existence of it, pretty much. I mean, right? It was actually the very first thing that the devil did. The very first thing. He challenged the word of God. He said, did God really say? And he twisted it to manipulate, well, through the serpent, to manipulate Eve in eating the fruit. So the, the t- I'm not going to give you the title yet. We'll get there. So I just want to talk about, I, I think we're going to take this slow. We're going to lay some foundation because it's important for us to get this set in our heart. Because the Lord asked me, like, what would happen if everyone who goes to your church was financially stable and able to give when I say give? He said, how could, that impact your com- how could that impact your community? How could it impact the church? And again, I'm, I'm not even saying you giving money to the church. I'm saying you being diligent because outside of these doors are hundreds and thousands of people who are believing for answers from the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. We can be those answers. In fact, we're told to be yeah. under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to cover a couple of things kind of basically. And, and if you think, Mike, I've heard this before, well, maybe you just need to correct your heart a little bit because it's good to be confident in knowing why we believe what we believe, okay? All right. So the word faith means confident expectation, okay? The word faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the word hope means to expect with confidence, okay? So faith is, you might say faith is a sure thing, right? So how can you have confidence in, er- in an area that you are not totally convinced of? Does that make sense? How can you have confidence in a principle of the gospel when you're 90% sure it's in there? Well, I remember Pastor so-and-so saying it. Well, I remember what Grandma this said or Mom and Dad said there. How can you have faith 
in an area that you're not convinced of. Does that make sense? The answer is, you can't. You can't have faith in an area that you're unsure of. Now, you can be 60% sure, you can be 70, 80, 90, 99% sure, but if you're not 100% sure of the principle of the gospel, you know, what the scripture says about it, what the heart is behind it, within context, how can you actually have real, tangible faith? Because here's what I think a lot of Christians do. They have ignoring faith. What I mean by that is, is they're like, yeah, I'm convinced, and if I don't talk about it, then I'm in faith. Because I'm not saying against it, but I'm not exactly actively going for it. If God wants to do it, I know it's right, but I'm not going to exercise faith in this area. Does that make sense? Like healing is this way sometimes. People will ignore symptoms and say that they're in faith. I've done it. If I just ignore this, it'll go away. Some things you don't need to give validity to. Sometimes a headache comes up and you speak to the headache and then you just go on with your day, right? That's faith. But if a headache comes up and you just think, if I ignore it, it'll go away, are you exercising faith? No, you're ignoring symptoms. Faith is an activity is what I'm trying to say. It, you can't be in faith doing nothing. You can Now, once you speak and you're resting, that can be an act of faith. But faith comes out of the, you have to speak. You have to speak to the mountain, right? The word scripture doesn't say, think to the mountain, be removed. He says, speak to it. Faith is activated through our words. It's activated through our words. We live in a words-based world. It's activated through our words. So you can't have faith in an area that you're not fully convinced of. You can try to convince yourself that you're convinced of it, but unless you're convinced, you're not convinced. I realize that was a lot of nothing said, but I think it makes sense. You can't really have a a total conviction in an area that you're unsure of or that you have doubts or that when someone challenges you, you go, I'm pretty sure it's there. You know, the Bible, there's the thing in there, right? You know. But when you're challenged in an area, I'm not saying you should get in theological fights with people. That's not what I'm saying. But when you're challenged in an area, you should know why you know what you know. Another thing that this confidence does is it gives us the ability to exercise our authority over that situation. Right? Have we been given authority on heaven and earth? How? By Jesus, right? Holy Spirit lives in us. We've been given authority on heaven and earth. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Yes? We're all on the same page? We have been giving that authority. So how can you exercise authority if you're not 100% sure it's something you have rights to? What I mean by rights is we've been talking about righteousness, right? Over the last, I don't know, six, seven weeks, Ben, we've been talking about righteousness. Talking about what righteousness gives us access to, how we are the righteousness in Christ and what position we sit in to walk out that righteousness, right? So in that, there are... It's a package deal, this salvation thing. It's not just you're saved from hell. The, the, the Greek word for salvation is the word sozo, heal, whole, well, preserve, right? And encompassing all those words would be everything that you are, your finances, your health, your mental health, your spiritual health, your physical health, your family, your kids, everything you have authority over. Everything with you is supposed to go well according to Jesus. You understand? So if you are not 100% convinced in an area, how can you exercise the authority that he's given to us over that area? Is that, you understand what I'm saying? That, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to literally dig down to the very base level of this thing. 
Because if we don't have a good foundation of why we believe what we believe, it will all be fall into shambles. In fact, he said some people will, there's a, a man who sowed seed and he sowed it into like shallow rocky ground and immediately it was excited and it sprung up. But because it had no roots, it was scorched, right? We need to have roots. We need to be like a tree planted by rivers of living water, meaning we know what this word says, okay? I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I'll go ahead and say this. In John 10, it talks about a shepherd. And he says, I'm the good shepherd, right? He says, my sheep know my voice, and another voice they will not follow. Is everyone familiar with this this passage in in John 10? The Lord said something to me this week when we were listening to this um, at this conference we were just at. And he said, Micah, you can take that passage and you can replace the word voice with the word word. All right, so just we're on the page. Whose voice has filled this book? Right, okay. This is the word of God, correct? So he said, he said, he said you, can take, you can take the word voice and replace it with the word word, and it means the same. So I'll read it to you this way. My sheep know my word, and another word they will not follow. Are there other words out there? Are there other theologies? Are there other religions? Are there other gods? My sheep know my word, and another word they will not follow. It says, all others who come another way are thieves and robbers. The devil is constantly trying to steal and pervert what this book says. He is convinced a large swath of believers that you're supposed to be poor. He has. And there's a lot of people who would tell you, you don't need to have a lot of nice things. There's a lot of people who would tell you that. Then I say, well, why do you have a job then? Why are you trying to pay your bills? If God wants you poor, just go be poor. You live on the street. Go be poor. I mean, if, you're so, if we're supposed to be poor, let's, I mean, let's go be poor for Jesus. What are you doing in the house? Why do you have a car? Like if, gosh darn it, if you're supposed to be poor, he said be hot or be cold. Don't be lukewarm. You trying to pay your bills is you being lukewarm if you think you're supposed to be poor. Go be poor then. I mean, if, if you're going to tell me you have conviction and you're telling me I'm supposed to be poor, lead the way, brother. Show me how it's done. But the enemy is, has manipulated and lied this word to convince people that they're not supposed to have anything, to convince people that they're supposed to not have any access. So how can we exercise authority in an area that we're not fully convinced of? Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What do we use to please God? Faith. faith. Yeah, we were just talking about that. Can you please God without faith? How do you know? Hey. We're getting somewhere now. The word that the Bible uses is the word impossible. In the word impossible, is there any possibility? This much. Zero possibility in the word impossible. Without faith, it is in, there's zero chance. Even if you're casting out devils in his name. Even if you're giving to the poor. Micah, how can you, can you even do that? Yeah, it happened in the Bible. Jesus spoke about it. He said there would be a time come when, when people say, Lord, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We healed the sick in your name. We cleansed lepers in your name. And he said, get away from me. I never knew you. There's no faith there. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. How can you have faith to please God in an area that we're not fully convinced of? I realize I'm being repetitive here, but that's on purpose. You can't. You can't. The answer is you can't. You, you can't have faith in an area that you're not convinced of, which means you can't please God in an area that you're not convinced of. You guys follow me? You understand? This is, this is 
the foundation of what I'm trying to build here. The, the, the reason why faith is required is it's, 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 the, it, it's the very existence of, of it's, it's the basis, it's the base of our very existence in righteousness. That's what I'm trying to say. It's solely dependent on our ability to look at the word and understand what it says is true, right? We were saved by grace through what? Faith. It's the only way. We, could, we actually can't be saved only by grace. I'm not saying grace isn't powerful enough, but hear me out. We can't be saved only by... So grace is the access to salvation. Faith is the laying hold of. Does that make sense? Faith is the thing that was poured out on the earth for us to get access to. Faith is the things that, that lays hold of it, that grabs on to the salvation. We are saved by grace, grace being what Jesus Christ did on the cross, taking what we deserved and giving us what he deserved. That's the grace that was presented to us on a platter, right? And he said, here it is. Here's your salvation. It's yours for the taking. How do we take it? Through faith. We receive that salvation through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. That's why without faith you can't please God because technically you can't even be saved by him without it. Am I, am I speaking word? We on the same page here? Okay. Let's turn to, you guys have your Bibles with you? Let's turn to Ephesians 2. We're going to go to verse 10. And I am in no hurry to get through any of this. If it takes us a week or two and we're done, that's fine. If it takes us half a year, I'm okay with that. Because it's important to build a foundation for us to understand what the Scripture says about this. Who, who, who wants to know what the Scripture says about this? Thank you, Ben. I'm glad you do. Oh, I, sorry. I was looking down. I'll include you in that, Danny. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are the workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works. What kind of works? Were we created for that? Can you do good works if you don't have any access, don't have any things, don't have any money, don't have any ability? How can you do good works? Probably not is the correct answer. <laughs> Which God prepared beforehand, meaning he has it all set up that we should walk in them. Okay. One, one more kind of uh, housekeeping thing here, and then we're actually going to get into this in a more intense way. Can we agree, as a group of people, that all Scripture is God-breathed? Yes. I, I actually want everyone to look at me, and, and I, I'm being serious about this. Can we agree that every word in this book is God-breathed? Yes. Can you guys raise your hands and tell me? We're all on the same page. I just want to make sure. Okay. Can we agree that if we find something in the word and it's within context, it's ours? We need to believe it. Whether it conflicts with how we were raised or what our mama said or what our grandmammy said or what previous preachers or teachers said, if it's in the word, it's within context, we have a right to it. We should believe it, right? Hands again. Let me see. I just want to make sure on the same page. Okay. Can we agree that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Show of hands. Can we agree? Hebrews 13.8 says that if you guys want to know. Okay, I just want to make sure. It's important that we're all on the same page here before we move forward because the last thing I want to do is be on, like if we need to go back to understanding that this is the word of God, that's, that's, a, that's a one level deeper than the foundation I'm trying to build. Does that make sense? Okay. So here, here's, here's the title for, for this message or for this series, however long this goes. this goes. It is God's will regarding your finances. 
If you want to write it down, you can. If you don't want to write it down, don't worry about it. I'll probably say it next week. Or you don't even have to remember it. But that's just the title God gave me is God's will regarding your finances. And what he said to me is you need to find out what my will is regarding your finances. How many of you would like to know what God's will is regarding your money, regarding your finances? Me too. Okay. So who in the Bible is our example of this? One of them. Abraham. So we're going to go back to the very first mention in the Bible that we have of someone living in prosperity. Someone living, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So let's go from the very first time that we see this, okay? So we're going to go look at Abraham. Now, there's lots of other things in the Bible that we can visit, and we will probably visit those in later weeks. But today we're going to start with Abraham, okay? Does that sound good? We're going to go to Genesis chapter 12. We're just going to read the first couple of verses here. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> when you have it, say, I've got it. I want to come up with a different thing. Like, when you, when you have it, say, ka-ka, just, you know, see if people would do it. Yes. <laughs> All right, everyone there? Okay. This is, this is uh, the first communication that we have between God and Abram. Okay. So now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. We're going to read till verse three here, Nancy. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and uh, you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is what God tells Abram. Abram's hanging out with his family. I'm assuming he's a young man at this point, kind of from what we have dates and times, because soon after this, he has like a wife and stuff. And God says, all that stuff that you are, you know, your comfort with your family. I want you to, I want you to put that aside and I want you to leave. Because in this, and there wasn't a whole lot of people on the earth here anyways. You understand that? And you, you, it was like, you stayed with your tribe. You stayed with your people. And God said, I want you to come out from there. And I'll, I'll tell you where to go later. But if you do, I'm going to take care of you. That's God's promise to Abram. If you, uh, you, we could say it like this. If you listen and obey, I'm going to take care of you. Right? We can say it as simple as that. That's what he's telling Abram here. So the rest of chapter 12, I'm just going to kind of give you a synopsis for the sake of time. Um, there, there becomes a famine in that area. So Abram and his, and his wife, Sarai, is that how you guys say that? Huh? Sarai? Does that work? We're on the same page there? Okay, cool. Abram had, uh, and so they, they were traveling to Egypt because Egypt was doing okay for themselves. And Abram was afraid that his drop-dead gorgeous wife was going to be stolen from him. And so he said, tell everyone that you're my sister. And then Pharaoh took her anyways. And then there was there was like curses and stuff in Egypt. And then Pharaoh found out that it was his sister. And he's like, Abram, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why didn't you tell me? I've been having your wife in my house and now I'm getting all these curses and stuff. Take your wife and leave. But in that, it actually says that uh, Abram obtained, while he was in Egypt, he had favor with Pharaoh. And it said that he obtained sheep, camels, cattle, male servants, and female servants. So while he was in Egypt, a land that he did not possess, he's not even technically in covenant with God yet. He just obeyed. Okay? God said go. He went. It didn't even say that God told him to go to Egypt. 
I'm just reading scripture. Right? Go back and read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. But he said there was famine in the land. He went to Egypt. He did this whole thing with his wife slash sister and Pharaoh. And then he got favor with Pharaoh. He obtained servants. He obtained livestock. Now, these are what we, we might even say assets now. You understand? Like cur- Livestock was currency then. I mean, there was silver and gold. But li- like if you had a lot of livestock, you, had, you, were, you, were, you were doing good for yourself. Because you can sell a cow. You can eat a cow. You can, you, can, you can tan its hide and make leather. You can make clothes from the, the wool of sheep. You can milk camels and sheep and cows. Like it's, 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 it, is, it is valuable to have livestock in this time. Okay? So he obtained favor with Pharaoh, and he got sheep, he got cattle, he got camels, and he got servants. All right? In, in, let's go to Genesis 13, 1 and 2. So we were just in Genesis 12. God told him to come out of the land. He said, I'll tell you where to go later. He comes out, goes to Egypt, gets favor with Pharaoh, and just, it says he obtained sheep. I don't even know how this happened other than God worked on, the, on his behalf and he got sheep and cattle and served. Like, I don't know how you have nothing. You go into a place and you leave with a bunch of things other than God intervening on your behalf. Oh, you understand what I'm saying here? So Genesis 13, uh, chapter 1 says, so Abraham went up from Egypt. This is right after he told them to go. Went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to Negab, wherever that place is. Now Abraham was what? We'll try that again. Abraham was what? He was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He was how rich? The Bible doesn't even say he was rich. If you look in different translations, the word very or a, a similar word to it is always in there. He was, as far as I've seen, he was very rich. Is he in covenant with God right here? Not yet. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, he's in relationship, but he hasn't entered into covenant. The reason why this is important is there's a lot of people who discredit the Old Testament because they'll say that's Old Covenant. You know, tithing is part of the Old Covenant. We're about to see that that's not even true here in a minute, right? This whole money thing, that was part of the Old, that was part of the old Covenant. That was, they, they, they discredit the Word of God. I just told you about John 10.10. 10. It says, all who come by another way are thieves or robbers. Those who try to discredit any part of this book are what? Thieves and robbers. Now, part of it is due to ignorance or bad influence, but the whole totality of the Word is important for us to read. In fact, all of the New Testament writers are writing to you with understanding that you've read the Old Testament. Anytime you see the word Scripture in the New Testament, they're always referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament didn't exist because they were currently writing it. Does that make sense? So anytime they say Scripture or Holy Writings, they're always referring to the Old Testament. And and I realize, I don't, I don't have a better word for it. I don't like Old Testament because people... It puts a negative context. Oh, that's just the old way. That's just that old guy. You know, that's, you know, us new kids, we know what to do now. You know, we don't listen to those old fogies. We can't have that context in our hearts when we think about this word, okay? It is, it is, it is just as true then as it is now. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are, I saw you guys raise your hands. We already agreed on it, right? So this, this we're reading about a characteristic of God. What I'm saying is he doesn't just say, I'm only going to do this to Abram and no one else. You're seeing the very heart of God 
in this one example, there's multiple in the word, but we're just looking at this one for this morning. His heart is being shown to us on his attitude towards us in relationship with him. Understand? So it says, now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Okay? Shortly after this, we read about how his was nephew was, uh, Lot was his nephew, I think, right? His nephew Lot and him. Now Lot also was very prosperous because he was hanging on the coattails of Uncle. You know what I'm saying? He, Uncle Abraham, Uncle Abram had had it going on, and so he's like, I'm going to hang out with this dude, and he's doing well. So so Lot just kind of got leftovers, but there were so many leftovers that Lot began to grow massively. Okay, and they grew so much that their people that were tending their flocks. This is all going to be in chapter uh, 13. Just so you know, I'm just giving you kind of a synopsis here. Their herds were getting so big that the people running the herds were fighting over, like, grazing ground and where to water the sheep. And Abram was like, hey, listen, we're not going to have any fighting among it. And he said to Lot, pick whatever land you want. If you go east, I'm going to go west. If you go north, I'm going to go south. You pick it, and I'll go the opposite direction. So Lot looks at the valley of the Jordan. That's where the city of Sodom and Gomorrah are and other things. And he goes, hey, look, that looks pretty good. I'm going there. And Abram goes the other direction, okay? So Genesis 13, chapters, uh, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 14 through 18, Nancy. This is after that they separate. Oh, it says it here. Yeah, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. So this is Lot went one way, Abram went the other. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Can anyone count how much dust is on the earth? It's a bunch. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, see, look, they already told you, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Marmory, maybe, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So Abram separates from Lot to keep peace, and God keeps his word to Abram. He said, leave your father and mother, go to a place that I will show you. We are now seeing him walk into this place. He said, I will make your name great. So here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to look at. What is Abram's financial status at this point? Very well. Okay? Do you think God is aware of that? So why does he tell Abram, I'm going to make you very rich? He's already rich. You understand what I'm saying? He, he's already doing pretty well for himself. In fact, at this point... He's already greater than some kingdoms. He, he was like, he was one of the most prosperous people on the earth, rivaling nations. You understand what I'm saying? But he said, if you go to this place, I'm going to give it all to you. And he said, I'm going to prosper you. Well, he's already prosperous. So can you be prosperous on top of being prosperous? Can God prosper you on top of your prosperity? See, what I'm trying, what I'm trying to lay a foundation here is, is sometimes we have a mentality that the Lord can get me to have just enough. The Lord can provide for me. I got a bill that's $700. He can give me $700. You're right. You're right. 
But he's not just a God of enough. He's, he's, a, he's a more than enough God. He said, if anyone gives, whatever that measure is, he'll give back to them good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. What I, what I want to make sure that we're avoiding here is that money is what we're trying to obtain. That status is what we're going for. That possession is what, it's not it at all. That's not what we're going for. But what we need to understand is it's a part of the gospel. And it's a part for us. It's not, it's, and the word actually says it's the least thing that God's concerned about. But that doesn't mean he's not going to give you access to it. The reason why more believers don't have great access is because they're really bad with money. They don't give him his heart. They don't honor him with it. They don't listen when they tell them to give. He's not just going to give you 10 grand to blow on yourself. Now, let me clarify. He doesn't mind that you have $10,000. He doesn't mind if you have $10 million. You understand what I'm saying? It's not, dollars mean nothing to him. What matters to him? It's always about what? So some people, when they get too much things, too much stuff, where does their heart go? So God's not going to give you an idol. You understand what I'm saying? But when you get more and more in love with the Lord, when your relationship grows with Him and increases with Him, He has no problem giving you great access and giving you great things to enjoy. It does not matter to Him as long as He has your heart. Abram and God were like this. He had his heart. He, God knew Abram. Abram knew God. They were in relationship. So God was perfectly fine with prospering Abram after he was prosperous. So what I'm saying is God is a provider, but he's also a God of more. He could give you $700 for that bill, but then he could also give you 7000 on top of it. You understand what I'm saying? Like he's, he's not just a enough God. He's a, he's a too much God. Why? Because he wants us to have excess. Why? Because people need excess. People need access to your excess. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying it, it, you don't just give to everyone who needs. You don't just, it's not always your job. You're not anyone's savior. But what you are is a child. You are, you are a son or daughter of God. You are a sheep. He opens the door and puts you into the pasture. Like your job is to just hang out. Listen to what he says. Be obedient. and Enjoy the benefits. Does that make sense? So in Genesis 14... Again, we're just reading about God's relationship with Abram. And I, want, I would really like if all of you read this. It's just like seven chapters here. And it reads really, really well. And, and if you have a hard time reading, y'all got a smartphone, it'll read to you. But it's, it's important for you to read and hear this story. This is, this is our history. You understand that? Like a lot of people go to Ancestry.com to find out who they are. This is the biblical equivalent of that. This is for us to find out who we come from. This, this is, this, Abraham is your great, great granddaddy. You understand what I'm saying? Like, this is your lineage. You know, I, I, uh, my, my, uh, my, my mom's dad was full-blooded Italian. His name was Angelo. Angelo Porto. Uh, my grandmother was full Czechoslovakian. And then on my dad's side, he was full German. My grandma was full Irish. So I'm a quarter of each. 
and I and most of my life I've I just mostly identified with the Italian side mostly because that's how I'm presented I look more Italian than I look German um, and I love my Italian family I love the hours and hours in the kitchen where you like you eat and then you prepare the next meal to eat while hanging out in the kitchen snacking on food to prepare to eat like I just I it's just a really good time and I'm and, and for most for a lot of my life I really identify with that family it's it's such a loving and welcoming family but uh but can can we identify with this family you understand do I know as much about this as I do like I can, I, my, 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 my grandfather's mom, she, Nana, we called her. I'm not sure what her name was, but that's what we called her. Cause that's Italian for grandma. When she, she came here when she was eight on a boat by herself. So I'm a fourth generation immigrant. So I know all of this history about my family, but do I know the history of, of my new family? Cause when I accepted Jesus Christ, there's a lineage there that we have access to. This is what, this is literally what we're walking through this morning. It's through our history. Say, this is my history. It's important for us to know what the word says. So we're going to go to, what did I say? Genesis 14. Okay. Um, let me, let me turn there myself. Cause there's, I don't want to go through this whole chapter. We still got time. You guys got anything better to do than church? Well, one person. Hey, I'd rather you be honest than lie to me in the pulpit. So I don't, if you say yes, hey, good. Go for it. That's fine with me. Um, I just want to make sure. Sh- I don't want to cover a whole. Okay. So, yeah, I'll, I'll just give you. This is when Locke gets in trouble. Okay. So here, I want you to read this at home. I won't go through all of it for the sake of time. But Locke gets in trouble. And several kings come together and attack the area. And then Sodom and his, or excuse me, Lot and his family get taken. And so... Abram is like, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, actually, uh, fourteen fourteen says, when Abram heard that his kin- his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, three hundred and eighteen of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants and defeated them all. Again, this was a nation of kings. This wasn't just one nation. Pursued them to Heboa, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, and he also brought back his kinsman, Lot, with his possessions and the woman and, his, and the people. Okay? 14.17. Genesis 14.17. After his return from the defeat of the Chedlomar, that guy, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, this is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God. Melchizedek was the priest of God. You understand it? And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, he who delivers your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay? This is the very first example of tithing we have in the Bible. Is this part of the covenant? No. Tithing is not part of the covenant. It's it's part of our existence in relationship. But it it wasn't something God told Abraham to do as part of in fact, it's after this event that God forms his covenant with Abram. This happened first. He was blessed by God, by the high priest, and then he 
blessed God back. He has an understanding. I would have, because understand, at this point, Abraham's been doing pretty well for himself. He's had herds of sheep and cattle. He has acres and acres of land. He has male and female servants and trained enough to where they're literally an army themselves. One man, okay? He recognizes that he would have nothing if it wasn't for God. So when the high priest blesses him, he gives a tenth of everything that he took and gives it. Later on, the king wanted to give Abram like a lot of the treasures and stuff, and he said no. He said, because no, I, I, I don't want anyone to be able to say that man made me rich because it's God who made me rich. So Abraham, so, and I understand, like, a king came to him and was like, I'm going to give you all these riches. It was you're not talking like, uh, it's like 15,000 bucks. You're talking about kingdoms worth of spoils. And the king said, I'm going to give it to you. And he said, no, just give me the people. I don't want any of your possessions because I don't want anyone to say that any man made Abram rich. And then the very next chapter is Genesis 15. And that's when God enters into a covenant with Abram. That's the first God speaks of it, the, and it's the action they take. Um, 17 is where we actually see more instruction come from that covenant that God had. But very first verse of chapter 15, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Again, he's already successful. He's already been promised prosperity on top of his prosperity and now God is saying your reward will be very great but Abram said to the Lord O Lord God what will you give me for I continue childless here's what I want to want want to look at here he was promised by God already to be have descendants as many dust that there is in the field right he was already promised that he has more gold and possessions of stuff that he knows what to do with but what he doesn't have is a son so understand where Abram's value is. His value isn't in, I mean, it, God, God says, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to prosper you. And he said, I have, God, I have money. What I don't have is a son, and you promised me a son. I'm paraphrasing here, but if you read this, it works out this way. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside uh, and said, Look towards the heaven, the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. Verse, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 16 is when he tries to do this himself with Hagar. And Ishmael came out of that. And for generations and generations, those two lineages of families have been fighting. And will be fighting until Jesus comes again. Because that's what happens when you try to do things your own way, as opposed to doing it the way the Lord tells you. Read it for yourself, chapter 16. But in chapter 17... Um, we're going to read the first nine verses here or so. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appealed to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. 
What do you think would happen if God showed up and said, I am God? First off, do you think you'd be questioned who it was? Like, you think if he just showed up, do you think, one, would you be able to stand? I just, I try to like think of this in a very literal sense. It really says the Lord appeared to Abram. So you're just hanging out one day, you're 99 years old, and there's God. And he says, I am God Almighty. I don't think Abram would have said, yeah, no, duh. But like, I like, I think he would be pretty aware who was standing before him. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. Again, what is Abram's status at this point? Financially. Very, very, he's doing very well for himself because of his obedience. This covenant hasn't been formed. Because of his obedience and his relationship with God, he's doing very well for himself. Very, very well. Uh, verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Again, he has already been greatly multiplied. This is on top of how greatly See, a lot of people, this is why it's important to read this. A lot of people think Abraham became great after the covenant was formed. He became great when he got into relationship. A lot, I mean, this is why it's so important to understand your word. And people, this is why people say, well, you know, that was part of the old covenant. because No, Abraham, this was before the covenant. God has promised to make him great after he was already great. He literally took on multiple nations and won. That's pretty great. Verse 3, then Abram fell on his face. Yeah, that's probably the right response. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. If God was going to make you great, you would say, call me whatever you want. I don't know, whatever it is. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings. Uh, King shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you after you, the land of your sojourning, that's where they were traveling, all the land of the Canaan for an everlasting possession. How long is everlasting? Yep. And I will be their God. And God said to Moses, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. The Ten Commandments hasn't even started yet. We don't get so a covenant's been formed with Abraham here. Because so far, when God said something to Abraham, what did Abraham do? He listened. There's there's a relationship here. A covenant isn't like employment. You understand? It's not Abram got hired, or now Abraham got hired by God to be this thing. Covenant is God saying, you can have access to all that I am, and I get access to all that you are. We actually see this tested out with Isaac. God asks Abraham if he'll give his only son because God is going to give his. It's a two-way relationship. You understand? He's entered into an everlasting relationship with our great granddad. 
and instead it's a two-way street. I get access to all that you are, but you get access to all that I am. Does this include finances? The word prosperity does not solely mean money. The word prosperity does not just mean dollar bills. You understand? You can have mental prosperity, physical, emotional, prosperity in your businesses. In fact, if we, if we, which will, I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself, but in Deuteronomy, he talks about what the blessing will bring you. You'll be blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in your basket, blessed in your storehouse. Has that changed for us? Is it any different now than it was then? So where's the disconnect? And the relational thing with the Lord is where the disconnect is. Because he said, I will give you everything that I am, but you have to give me everything that you are. Acknowledge me in all your ways, and who will direct your path? Are you acknowledging the Lord when it comes to your prosperity? And I say prosperity, when I say that word, I want us to be trained to think not just money. When I say the word prosperity, I need big, bold letters to say not just money. Because prosperity is so much more than that. It's everything that, that is our makeup. God wants every part of you that he has designed and called, he wants every part of you to be successful, not the part that you choose, okay? You know, I, I wanted to be a professional hockey player, okay? I really liked playing hockey. It wasn't in the cards for me, okay? I can't go try to be a hockey player and say, God, why aren't you blessing me as a hockey player? He's like, because your field is over here in this church being a pastor. You understand what I'm saying? So you can't just choose what you want to do. If you acknowledge him in everything that you are, everything that you have, he will direct your path. He will make your way prosperous, and you will have what? Good success. Is that in the Word, or is it in the Word? I'm kind of sneaking into the next week message a little bit, but we got time. What I'm saying is, is that we need to be convinced of a thing. I, I wanted to go through the history of who Abraham was and how God formed this relationship with him before the covenant. We're still in this same relationship now. Has it changed? Has it changed? Church, has it changed? It's the same relationship. It's why, why, else, why else is it here? You have to understand that this isn't just a history lesson. It's your lineage. It's your heritage. It's who God made you to be. I realize that people get uncomfortable when it comes to talking about money and finances. I understand that. I wish that you would get over it. I really do. Just because it doesn't do anyone any good. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do me any good. It doesn't do your neighbor any good. Because we look at money as this valuable commodity, and I understand why we do that. It is the, what makes the world go round, if you will. I understand why people look at it as a valuable thing. It does have value. But its value is instilled in its ability for access, in my opinion. What, what it gives us the ability to do in our call for our lives. And this is why there's a lot of people who don't have money is because their value is in money. That's why the word says the, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the, it's the, it's, the word love could be, could be replaced with value, could be replaced with peace, could be replaced with foundation because that's what love is, right? If you have trust in money, then you're elevating that above your relationship with the Lord. But if you could elevate your relationship with the Lord above your money, he'll give you great money and great access. It's not... We have to get over it. 
And, and I, I know that I don't have complete revelation on everything, and no one does. But I, cha- I really challenge you. If this subject bothers you, or maybe you're like, I'm just not sure about it, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to like try to change your mind. But we agreed that beforehand, y'all raised your hand, I saw it. We agreed that if it's in this book, it's for us. If it's within context. So if you want to question what I said, I'm totally fine with having a conversation, but you better have scripture within context to bring it up to me and say, here's what the Bible says. Here's why what you're saying is wrong. And I'm totally, I'm totally open to being wrong. The Lord can correct me. The, uh, there's people above me and people in partnership with me who will help me. But I'm telling you that this is something that is for us today because if the, if the devil can convince us that we shouldn't have money, he can literally cut our access by 90 percent because if he if he has someone in tulsa that he wants you he wants you to go and pray for someone at a burger shack in tulsa but you can't even put five dollars in your tank how are you going to get there you understand is that okay hey thanks for listening to the tanny love church podcast for more information about us visit us online at www.tannylovechurch.com and you can also check us out on social media on instagram and facebook